We're going to turn to Romans chapter 10. I'm just going to start reading at verse 11 so you get the context. 11 through to the end, Romans chapter 10. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I've held up my hands to disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you that you are here with us and that uh, we may hear you speak this morning just as you've spoken to us through the songs and the prayers and that as we come now to your written word that we would be obedient to it and obedient to you and that we may hear you speak and leave here with something more to do for your glory here in Boscombe. And all of Christ's people said, Amen. Now, for today, as for today, you may recall if you were here last week, we saw together that there is a problem in the world. We call it sin. We went on to, to look at two other words beginning with S. Solution and salvation. We observed that God had provided a means of rescue for all nations and all peoples in the man we know as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, who was the substitution, propitiation, uh, reconciliation and redemption required so that salvation was possible from the effects of sin for all people of all nations. And as we start today, a quick synopsis of the passage we looked at last week from Romans 10 verses 1 to 13. 
So in verses 1 to 4, Paul has a desire, a passion within him. What is that passion? That Israel may grasp the salvation to which God has called them instead of rejecting it. In Romans chapter 9, Paul has expressed his anguish at Israel's lack of belief in Jesus being the long-waited-for Messiah. He was like them, but now he has grasped that salvation fully with all his life, following his encounter with Jesus on that road to Damascus. And even though he's been set apart as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul has a yearning, an inner desire that Israel comes to know this salvation personally. And that is part of his prayer life. The people of Israel were well-meaning, but they were still blind spiritually to the knowledge that they could have God's salvation through trust in him rather than their own means of righteousness. They were trying to establish their own means of righteousness, but as ever were found wanting. The law could never cover them in righteousness, but the Christ would, and yet they rejected him. Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law, so therefore the law was ended, because ultimately the Christ was the object or aim of the law. Therefore, both Jew and Gentile could gain salvation by embracing the Christ and placing their faith and hope in him alone. And in verses 5 to 8, the people of Israel were not to sigh in exasperation at their own uh, feeble efforts of either ascending or descending. To do so would make salvation impossible, so by no means do that. How can salvation therefore be attained? How easily accessible is that salvation from God? Verses 9 to 13. Salvation is accessible to all, writes Paul, for all those who earnestly say that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Lord God, a free gift, not just with the lips, not just with the mind, but also with the heart. They're to grasp hold of that salvation by believing with all their being and confessing publicly that Jesus was the Christ. It was he who was raised to new life from the dead. Confession was and is a public declaration and an indispensable test of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And in chapters 9 to 11, Paul is speaking out that the Jewish people weren't saved simply because they were Jewish. They were to be saved by faith, calling on God. That is what Moses is saying in those quotes from verses 6 to 8. That sermon of Moses, from which Paul is citing, is a summary of the first five books of the Bible. A summary of all the law just as those verses were. God had not failed Israel, but Israel had failed themselves before God because they did not put their trust and faith in God. 
They had put their trust in the law to save them, and it couldn't save them. That was the Pharisees' problem at the time of Jesus. That was Paul's problem until that momentous occasion on the Damascus Road when God arrested him. We don't need to find a way to get to heaven because God has already provided it. We're to simply trust and confess him. And a further question remains, is there a difference between Jew and Gentile? By no means, no, says Paul. He shouts it. Or I can imagine him shouting it. In verses 11 to 13, Paul elucidates from the law and the prophets that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Jew or Gentile. And before we move on, though, a question. What is righteousness? Of course, Paul mentions it five times in that little passage. Five times he mentions it. And righteousness is the state of being right before God with complete moral perfection. God is a holy God, and so therefore God is righteous, perfect and complete. And as we saw last week, humanity had succumbed to sin and is therefore declared unrighteous. And part of salvation is that humans need to be declared righteous. So last week we learned about the message, and this week we will look at what we're to do with that message. But first, another question. What is God's responsibility in salvation, and who decides who is saved? And I'll quote John Calvin here, verbatim from his commentary on Romans. I shall not engage you long in reciting and disproving the opinion of others, Let everyone have his own view, and let me be allowed to bring forward what I think. So it's good enough for Calvin to say it, it's good enough for me. He's allowed to be wrong. With that in mind, as you are probably aware, there is a question which has been debated for centuries. Who decides who is saved? Is it God's overarching and sovereign will that decides which person will be saved? Is it God's permissive will which allows a person's freedom of choice to be saved or not? As I said, it's a question that's been asked for centuries. Is it just a small group of people of the elect, those who are saved by God and nobody can do anything about it whether they want to be saved or not? Or is everyone eventually going to be saved whether they want to be or not. And as ever, we need to take these two views in tension with each other through the balance of Scripture. Firstly, God does indeed choose individuals to fulfill his purposes. We see that throughout the Bible, and particularly in this context, Romans 9. He does choose who those are or will be saved, according to Jesus in John chapter 15. Those chosen ones are the elect. However, it is also his will, as we have read, that all people should be saved, 
and that nobody should perish. And therefore, we must accept that both these scriptural statements are equally and absolutely true. And when we use words with a time element such as chosen or elect about God, we need to consider God's infinite time framework, his timelessness. He doesn't work in our human finite time framework. So therefore, both God and therefore the individual person have a role to play. God has, with open hands, verse 21, offered salvation to all people of all time, verse 13. However, to try and answer that question more fully, we need to understand a little about our God. God is sovereign, we declare as Christians. That means God is in complete control, always without exception, and nothing can occur outside of his control and will. God loves his creation and he cares for it. He won't deny people their humanity when dealing with them. And an integral part of being sovereign are his decrees or pronouncements. And there are, of course, several kinds of decrees. When God says eternal life is available for all, he is saying to us that we may choose to accept it or reject it. Those that accept it, he will call them his beloved children. Your own situation, if you're a Christian here today, is that you have taken up God's offer and that you are trusting and obeying him solely for your salvation. You're not forced to, but you chose to with your mind. You have assurance of your salvation based on faith alone through grace alone. That's called free will. If it were not a choice to make, then we would all just be automatons instead of free people. Adam wouldn't have sinned in the first place and this world wouldn't have been into a mess, would it? No, a God who would be like that would not be desiring his creation to love him. A God like that could not be love. Yet we know that God is love, so therefore he cannot be wanting automatons to slavishly obey him, but rather he desires his people to love him freely, obediently, and with trust and faith in him alone. So how are people saved? Is it through the law or through their own works or actions? Of course not. It's by faith and trust in God to provide. That's clearly what Paul is saying in verses 5 to 12, as we saw earlier. We know that people need to be declared righteous, and again, that is through faith and trust in God alone to provide, as he has done through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Consequently, to be saved is for the person to take up the offer of Jesus Christ and to be covered in his robe of righteousness and adopted into his sonship. That is how people are saved and declared righteous before God. Only through being covered by the robe of righteousness of Jesus. Paul says that when we do that, we have put on our breastplate of righteousness. When Paul talks about the spiritual armour in Ephesians chapter 6. 
God has offered to all of humanity this free gift of salvation. However, in tension with this, God also knows who will be saved by taking up that offer. But it's up to people to take up that offer. It's a free will choice and not at the demand of an impersonal, dictatorial God. But now the rubber hits the road for us. Verse 14, as Paul continues. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them or giving them that message? God is accessible to all. This is what Paul is saying. Harking back to Paul's desire of verse 1, I wonder what your desire is, particularly concerning the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, which you have adopted as your own if you're a Christian. We can reach the world one person at a time. If I can reach four to 5,000 people a day, anybody can. We can reach our parish one person at a time, can't we? You are allowed to answer back, I don't mind. I normally would. So are we doing that? Are we yearning that the people of Boscombe hear this message of reconciliation with God? Look at verses 14 to 17. How can the people of Boscombe call on the great God we worship if they've never heard of him or have only been offered a false representation of him. We have a responsibility to reach out into Boscombe. Whether you think God has already chosen those who will be saved or not, those people need to hear it. We've been sent. We've been commissioned. Here we go in verses 14 to 15. The inner machinations of the gospel of peace which has laid hold of us and upon which we lay as Christian believers. Verse 14. If somebody hasn't heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is highly unlikely they will simply come to believe it. There are many who are not even seeking to hear it but they should at least be given the choice by us, shouldn't they? The message is heard, it is believed and taken up. God is that accessible. There's no need for endless rituals, doings and activities in order to find favour with God regarding salvation. God grants salvation and access to himself simply by a person believing the message of the gospel of peace and making it their own. Oh, that the people of Boscombe, of England, of the world, would all hear of this amazing gospel which we have and which we have hold of. That they would hear, believe, confess, and then go proclaim it. Again, is that your prayer for Boscombe, both as individuals and as a church? Alas, some will hear and turn away. 
but they can never claim that they've not heard it, can they? Yet we are sent with our beautiful feet, well, some feet are probably more beautiful than others, we're sent because people need to hear it. And God has chosen us to communicate it by all means possible to people. We speak, people hear, people believe, and by believing they are saved. That is indeed God's way. Oh, that God, the Holy Spirit, would help us to speak the words of the gospel with love and peace to those we know and deliver us from any foolishness which we hold on to for ourselves. Verse 16, not all who heard obeyed the gospel. Oh, these people had heard it, but they'd forsaken it. They are still in their disobedience, and this shows in their act of rejecting the message of salvation they have heard. Isaiah himself knew that salvation came to people by simple belief, faith, and trust in God alone. So what are people to hear? How can these people gain faith? Verse 17, that their salvation comes by faith and faith comes by hearing the word of God spoken to them. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. That is how the message of good news was heard. And we have to tell the message, live the message, and give the message about Jesus Christ to all those we meet and interact with. We can present them with the facts about Jesus and leave it with them. It is their choice whether they take up the option or not. The results are none of our business. but that of God the Holy Spirit alone. It won't be accepted by everyone, just as it wasn't accepted by all those in Israel. Verse 16, not all of Israel were saved, but only those who had accepted salvation through faith in God alone. Same for today. We have a message to give, to speak, to live. Some will hear and respond positively. Others will tell us, perhaps in less polite terms, to get lost. That's their responsibility, but again, they cannot say to God when they stand before him that they never heard the truth, can they? They've never, they can't claim they've never heard the gospel message, but we have to go. We've got beautiful feet, haven't we? That's why Paul says about feet in verse 15 as he quotes Isaiah. If you're a Christian here today, you have beautiful feet. Some of us may need a pedicure, but your feet are beautiful. Do you know the human foot is a strong and complex mechanical structure containing 26 bones, 33 joints, and more than 100 muscles, tendons, and ligament, all in a human foot. I lift my foot higher, but I can't get that high. And your feet are amazingly and beautifully made. Feet are part of the spiritual armour that Paul talks about to the Ephesian church that we mentioned earlier. Feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
A gospel of peace which we are to be ready to share about and rely upon at all times. You have peace with God if you're a Christian, but you and I are to exhibit peace with others. Do we do that? And where peace is, the discord of our enemies cannot prevail. On to verse 18 and 19. Israel are rejected by God because they refuse to accept the grace of God through Jesus Christ. They knew the gospel through the words of Moses, but rejected it. They heard it, yet ignored it. The Jewish people rejected Jesus, but now the Gentiles have taken him up for themselves. They heard that Jesus of Nazareth was their long-awaited-for Messiah, spoken about by Abraham, Moses and the prophets. Yet these people of Israel refused to accept Jesus as their Saviour and their Messiah. However, there is also some good news because some people did hear it and embrace it. Hallelujah! Heard this good news for the first time and grasped it eagerly with both their hands. Verse 20 to 21. God Almighty from his wellsprings of grace and mercy has reached out to all people of all time to respond to that call of salvation. God has stood with generations with outstretched hands waiting for a disobedient and argumentative people to be obedient and willing. Many of the Jewish people thought that they would be saved simply because of their nationality, that they could claim salvation simply because they were the children of Abraham. Paul indeed thought that once. But no, no person has the right to receive the grace of God or it wouldn't be grace. The same grace, though, delights to save and bless. Save and bless those who were once enemies of God and changes them into friends with God. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. And so as we conclude, what can we say? If you're a Christian here, you are beautiful. Your feet are beautiful. You have a message of beautiful peace within you. And what's more, you are to tell that message of peace to others, to show that salvation, which is peace with God, to others. It's a command to be obeyed. That is what all Christians are to do as messengers of the gospel of salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, a free gift of God from God so that no human can boast. Isn't that beautiful? How does Paul spread the good news of salvation? Well, just from this passage alone that we see that Paul uses the Bible, that he uses reason, that he uses testimony, we see that in the words that he uses of Moses, Isaiah and Joel. And Paul uses the words that he speaks. But let's just concentrate on one of those words. Testimony. One thing that all Christians have is a testimony. A story of how they became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
a story of how they heard this message of salvation and decided to take up this offer rather than reject it. Is that your testimony? A testimony is an assertion offering first-hand authentication of a fact. And for the Christian, it is classically, uh, generally expresses how they became a Christian. But I think it should also include for our modern world why you are a Christian and what that means to you now. The Apostle John talks about testimony in 1 John chapter 5. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In this piece of poetic scripture, John speaks about the love that God has for his people and the energy he puts into calling people to himself. God is always reaching out, seeking for all people to return to his arms. And part of our testimony that we are Christians is that we are not Christians simply because we come to church or simply because we happen to have been born in what is supposed to be a Christian country. Both of these ideas are what some people think that is how you become a Christian. I know because they tell me. But no, we are Christians entirely because God first chased and harried us into his arms. We are Christians because we responded to his message of love and of grace, received through faith because we heard that message spoken to us. We are Christian simply because God first loved us. As a tremendous lover, he beckoned and called us to follow him. He beckons and calls people all the time to respond to his call and turn back to him. And what's more, I read in the Bible that as a Christian, God the Holy Spirit is living within me, which reminds me that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that I am a child of the living God. That's part of the message of evangelism. People throughout the world, including the communities in which we live and in which we work, can choose to become children of God. And this is gained only by God's grace through faith alone. But if these people who have never heard, these people out at the bus stop waiting for a bus, if they've never heard, how can they respond if we the church never tell them? And the answer? We have the imperative and the commandment to go and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We've each got a story to tell. And we persevere in prayer. It sounds so simple, but are we praying specifically for these people we want to see to come to know Jesus and accept that salvation from future wrath that only he can guarantee? That gospel message which is part of our very being as Christians, praying diligently and with desire, prayer both as individuals and as a group of people. And are we loving each other as we should? We looked at that when we looked at Leviticus recently. That great book of love which is Leviticus. It is, it's a book of love and joy, trust me. And if we Christians were seen to be loving others, particularly each other, people will see the gospel of peace in action, won't they? We also saw that when we looked at Romans 12 together earlier this year. Romans 12, where love is described by Paul as being active and alive. Romans 12, which describes the gospel of peace in action. And as God's people, we are commanded to go and tell other people about God and the good news from God. Will there be one other person in heaven because you told them about Jesus? Heaven's a great big place. There'll be plenty of room. God has prepared a place for all those who love him, trust him and obey him. God is expecting us and wanting to lavish his love upon us. We know he loves us now, but that's only in part. And when we are with him eternally, we shall continue to explore that amazing love which he is and has and gives. We are going to explore that intimacy that we have with God. God is with us now in spirit, but then we shall be with him physically. As I said, I've been sent back twice so far. Heaven is a prepared place of extraordinary beauty. When was the last time that you or I told somebody about heaven and how to get there? As Christians, we are to be the witnesses for Jesus Christ in Boscombe and wherever we go. Witnessing by communicating our experience of God and the truth in the Bible. Just communicating not just with words but also with our actions and our lifestyle. It's as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And finally, finally, We're not left to our own devices and strength to do it. We remember that God has given his Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us, to empower us, to comfort and conjole us, and it is his boundless strength and power and wisdom which we can avail ourselves of in order to see Jesus Christ reign in Boscombe. My prayer is that each of us will go and show that love of God to all that we meet. Give the people we meet 
a reason to ask us about our God and the hope that we have in him. We can reach the people of Boscombe one person at a time, can't we? Will you tell at least one other person this week about the good news of salvation with God? Peace with God, peace with themselves, peace with other people. Let's pray. Oh God, help us. We know you are calling each person here in Boscombe to follow you. You're calling each person that doesn't know you wherever we meet them to follow you. We thank you, O God, that you are easily accessible, that you want us to be saved, that you have saved us and that you've given us a message that other people can also be saved. Help us this week and each day as we go on living, O God, to be faithful to you in the way that we deal with people, the words that we speak, as we give this message of peace to other people. And we ask this, Father, through the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, seals us as your children, and unites us as family to love each other. Amen.